I, I was thinking of, of this uh, lesson. We're looking at the Baptist distinctives. We're looking, actually, thank you, brother. We're looking at uh, the next distinctive, and that's individual soul liberty. Uh, this, this is a very powerful uh, truth that I want to talk about. And, I, and it's not going to be a one Sunday night uh, type of uh, truth here. We'll probably be taking, I'm thinking, uh, probably up to three uh, nights on this particular one. And uh, because it's just so big uh, of, a, of a topic. And I do plan on just getting uh, into a little bit of the, let me just pull this up, a little bit of the, uh, the history here. I want to look at some Baptist history and, and maybe just start by talking about that a little bit, just so you kind of get an idea of what the importance of, uh, of having this, um, this particular distinctive is to us here today and the cost of it. Uh, so what I'm going to do initially, I believe what I'm going to do, um, let's see here, what is my text? Let's go to Luke 4, verse 14. And I'm going to read this. Um, of course, this is the uh, Jesus Christ and, uh, and some of the things that he was saying in relation to liberty. And I think this is where we have to begin as we begin to discuss individual soul liberty. And then I'm going to go and uh, give you some points uh, about some history of why this is so important and, and how religious freedom flows out of this particular, this particular doctrine. Uh, without individual soul liberty, we'd have no religious freedom. And uh, I want to show you that a little bit. And so Luke 4, verse 14, it says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him throughout all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord." And he closed the book, and he gave it to the minister, and sat down. And the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And the reason why they were fastened on him, because the culture was, when you went into the synagogue, you'd read the scripture standing up, but then you would explain the scripture sitting down. And so after you've read the scripture, you'd go and sit down, and everybody would wait for you to explain what you just read. And this is what Jesus said. And he began to say unto them, This day whew, is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. That was his preaching on the subject. That's powerful. Can you imagine the jaws? <laughs> this is the sense of this passage that he read in the book of Isaiah. He said, I am the fulfillment of this passage. And I, I just can't imagine how the people responded to that, that that day. We know it caused a great stir, especially in Nazareth of all places. And so 
uh, quite interesting, but, but really what we're looking at, we're talking about liberty. We're talking about being set free, delivered, and, and living in a state of freedom. Uh, we know that Baptists throughout history, uh, going way back uh, to 300 uh, A.D., uh, experienced great persecution uh, underneath the Catholic Church, uh, underneath the different uh, emperors, and also the, the religious leaders of that time. We know there was a short time where Constantine uh, made, um, made a, an effort to bring the Baptists in by creating a state church. And he thought that was the answer to their problem to stop the persecution against the Baptists. But of course, well, that was not a good solution because that would remove their religious freedom. And so basically, um, a concept of religious freedom flows out of soul liberty. What does that mean? That means that everyone here has the freedom to choose what they want to believe and to choose to worship the God that they worship. A situation uh, that we had back in my hometown was that my father owned a development which had, uh, I don't know how many homes, uh, maybe 100 to 150 homes in it. And we, we, as Baptists, regularly knocked those doors and gave out the gospel. But what took place is also the JWs began to come around and do the same thing. So the response of some within, the, within our company was, hey, let's make, because it was private property, really, we could have determined to say, hey, we don't allow this, you know? And I thought about that, and I said, well, that's a good thing. I'd, I'd be glad that uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses will not be witnessing in the area. But at the same time, something troubled me with coming up with a law to keep them from going to the doors of these people. And so as we talked about it, I just said, you know, I, I think we ought to just let them do what they do. And it didn't take long inside of the development were what was known as the United Pentecostals. I don't know if you're sure about, about who they are, but they are in essence a cult. Uh, they believe that you have to be baptized in Jesus' name only, you have to speak in tongues uh, to be saved and so forth. It's a works-based salvation. And uh, it didn't take long. They were very antagonistic towards us as Baptists. They hated us. And so whenever that thought came out and they heard that we were, they were considering this law, they said, well, when are we going to make one for the Baptists? And that's when I knew that the moment you start clamping down on religious freedom, all it does is keep clamping down until the, the message stops. So you say, well, is it better then to have everybody go free? Yes. In fact, the Lord allowed the false teachers in the Old Testament and had the, the, what he said was to prove whether you love me or not. It's a proving. And so we have, to, we have to basically count on the fact that as we go out with the true message of the gospel, with the power of the Holy Spirit of God, that we will accomplish what God's will is in that area, even though... There are all kinds of false movements trying to do the same thing. And if people would turn to the false movement, well, then, of course, they're not listening to the message of the gospel. And so I thought about that, 
And, you know, I thought, you know, the best thing is to keep religion, religion free. Keep it free. And, you know, it'd be great to just, and there will be a time where all those religions will stop, you know. And there will be no more false religion. But for now, we have to let them continue. Because if not, then we, we ourselves would be guilty of attacking that doctrine of individual soul liberty. Every man must have the choice. When they knock on your door, you've got to choose what it is that you want to believe. And folks, I'm going to tell you something. In your heart, the Lord has given you enough light so that you could tell the difference between the right and the wrong. Amen? By your conscience. And, and so the Lord, uh, the Lord wants that to take place. And so this doctrine of individual soul liberty, it brought persecution to the Baptists in the, in the Middle Ages. Uh, persecution by Rome in three, 313 A.D., uh, the Reformation and those Reformation heroes, they didn't help us. Uh, none of them helped the Baptist. You know, why is that? Because the Reformers, they themselves formed their own state churches. They all took the power of the government. They all gave in to the same thing that they came out of. <laughs> and that was the problem. And so they didn't understand that that what was taking place initially, the problem was, is individual soul liberty. They, they grabbed onto a doctrine and they protested that, but they didn't realize that the very essence or the very core of their movement was corrupt because it didn't believe in individual soul liberty. And so when they had the opportunity to join up with the governments of that day, they did so. And so what we had is we had uh, the Lutherans, they became the state church of Germany. The Episcopalians became the state church of England. The Presbyterians became the state church of Scotland. And the Presbyterian, that's John Calvin. Those are Calvinists. And so each one of these movements that you see today, uh, you know, you'll see the Presbyterians, that they're, they're, they're branching out in so many different branches today. John MacArthur is from that, that branch. And, and people like that. And that's why I don't suggest that people listen to John MacArthur, because he's, he's Calvinist. He does not believe that you, you can freely choose uh, whether you get saved or not, that God chooses for you, all right? And I don't believe that for a second. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, amen? And so there are serious flaws in that particular doctrine. So what took place is you'd have a Baptist in Europe, in, the, in, in those areas, that were seeking for religious freedom, and so what took place? America took place. And so we came across the ocean and we came over to America. And we thought this would be it, the land of the free. I mean, isn't that what it is today? But it's interesting, the, the Puritans, which of course were very powerful there in England, they came over here and they created what's called the Congregationalist Church. Now, they, they had part of their doctrine right where they believed that the, every congregation stood on its own. A congregationalist government meant that each congregation would decide for itself. There would be no hierarchy of government over several churches. And that was a proper thing. That was probably the closest thing to being a Baptist that you could be. But the problem is they still believed in infant baptism. <laughs> and they had different forms of that that, that evolved over the, over the years and so forth. And so the congregationalists... They themselves became the state church 
in the state of Massachusetts. So here you had, before religious freedom was actually penned and put into paper, you'd have the state churches already begin within America, within the United States of America. Well, it wasn't the United States, it was just the new land of America, right? Obadiah Holmes, he was a Baptist in 1651, was whipped for holding a prayer meeting. In court, he was told, you have denied infants baptism, you deserve to die. This is in North America. This isn't the persecution of, of Europe and so forth. He was beaten so that the blood ran down his body until it filled his shoes. For two weeks, he had to sleep on his hands or elbows and knees. That's religious freedom, right? The land of the free. You had a Roman Catholic colony in Maryland. Maryland was, was predominantly Catholic, and to this day, I'm sure, Catholicism is the strongest movement there. Connecticut taxed Baptists and confiscated their lands to pay for Presbyterian churches. North and South Carolina and Virginia were the Church of England. So you see all these movements just came with and started to establish themselves as state churches within this land of the free. So Baptists were scattered, as they always have been, throughout the colonies of that time. The first Baptist Church of Providence, established under Roger Williams, who had been banished from Massachusetts, uh, you know, that was the first Baptist church there in that, in that state. He was banished out of it. And then you had this movement or this, this event that took place, the establishment of Rhode Island. Rhode Island. Now, John Clark went to England to obtain a charter for a new colony. It took him 12 years to get this charter. Uh, he wrote the charter for Rhode Island in 1663. The words religious liberty were used for the first time in an official government constitution in Rhode Island in the United States. First time. Who was behind that? The Baptists. What we believe. That's where it came from. <laughs> Virginia persecuted the Baptists. John Ireland, arrested with two other Baptist preachers, were imprisoned in Culpeper, Virginia. They attempted to blow him up with gunpowder. They smothered, tried to smother him by burning sulfur under his jail cell. They hired a doctor to poison him, and they built a wall to keep him from preaching through the bars of the cell. That's religious freedom. John Waller, Lewis Craig, James Child on June 4th, 1768 were dragged before the magistrate of Spotsylvania County, Fredericksburg, and held for trial, accused of being disturbers of the peace. The prosecutor said, these men are great disturbers of the peace. They cannot meet a man in the road, but they must ram a text of scripture down his throat. They were disturbing the peace by sharing the scripture. They were defended by a man by the name of Patrick Henry, and that's a very uh, famous, influential person. He wasn't all right, but he did some good things. They created some laws against Baptists. They made a law that only one preacher per county, he could preach one time quarterly, that's four times a year, in one place only. 
They changed the law a little bit later, and they allowed it monthly, but never at night. Mission work, revivals were forbidden. Couldn't have a revival meeting, couldn't have a missions conference, none of those kind of things. That's in the United States. But U.S. Constitution, what took place there? Patrick Henry suggested the idea of four state churches. He thought that would fix the problem. He said the Episcopalian, the Presbyterian, the Congregationalist, and Baptist. <laughs> now the problem is, there's not one Baptist that would have gone along with that. Thomas Jefferson attended a Baptist church as a young man and got ideas of democracy from it. Thomas Jefferson, one of the founders of the nation of the United States, and what formed the, the type of government that would form, that, that they would run by, came from ideas from Baptist churches. Baptists had great influence through James Madison. He was a graduate of Princeton who prepared for the Episcopal ministry. He became a friend of Baptists and assisting in the writing of the Constitution. He was instrumental in the idea of religious freedom being included. Think about this. Who was behind this? The ones that suffered the most at the hands of the state churches. They're the ones that fought for religious freedom. They're the ones that fought for individual soul liberty. And it's because of that that today when you hear them talk about religious freedom, when they read the Constitution of the United States, behind that are independent Baptists. That's pretty wild. <laughs> where else would they get these ideas? Definitely not from where they came from. Definitely not from their churches. They got it from the idea of, of a church like this meeting together freely with no, with separation of church and state, which is, that's what it means, by the way. I remember when John Crescent in Canada, one of his last things that he did before he exited uh, his position of prime minister he made it that gay marriage was legal. And his whole thing, this is what he said. He says, after all, separation of church and state. That was his reasoning. <laughs> well, what's happening today within our government is they don't understand even what separation of church and state means. What it really means is, is that the church will never use the authority and laws of the government to force its doctrines on any person. Every man must have the right to choose for himself what he will believe or not believe. And that's what we believe. That's a Baptist doctrine. That's something that, that has formed churches like this. That's what made it that we could exist. And like I said, all of these distinctives, they rise to the top. Why? Because of the pressure. Because of the attacks. Because of the persecution. Because of the death and the martyrdom, these are the doctrines that came to the top and said, these things will mark what you're all about. Amen? So it's important that we understand the distinctives of what a Baptist is. That's why I'm a Baptist. Amen? I, I, I'm not one by choice, just simply by preference. It's choice, but <laughs> I mean by preference. It's a conviction. I could not be anything else. I really could not. And when you start looking at the history and you start looking at churches throughout our land, you would have no other choice if you wanted to hold to these doctrines that I've been talking about to hold to the same ideas. Now, it not, may not be that you'd name your church the Baptist Church, but your doctrines would be exactly the same. Yes. 
Amen. But I still don't get today why churches that once called themselves Baptists are taking the name off their sign. I'm, it's an old trick. In fact, in the States, what took place is the people, whatever, the Pentecostals, these other groups, they saw how effective the Baptists were in drawing crowds, and especially uh, back in the, in the 1900s. <laughs> and so they began to put the word Baptist on their sign, even though they weren't Baptists, just to draw in the crowds. That's no worse than us taking the name off of our sign because we're scared it's going to shoo away some crowds. And that's what's going on today because of the hatred of, of the Word of God. No, I'll proudly wear that. You know, I just want people to know what it is. I want people to know what it means to us. <laughs> we're not just a Baptist where you'd ask somebody, what are you? And, well, well, we're just a Baptist and it doesn't really matter. You know, uh, why am I going to a door and talking to somebody who gives me the name of their church and there's no Baptist in it. Oh, and then they say, oh, we're Baptist too. I said, no, you're not. Because if you were, you would have no problem advertising that on your sign. Just the fact that it's not on your sign is telling me you're not a true Baptist. That you wouldn't pay the price that the Baptists have paid. Amen? Don't fall for that stuff. <laughs> Don't fall for that. Amen? So I just thought it would be important for you to see this. And I know it's a very quick overview of some Baptist history, but, but this is where our freedom came from. This is how God worked it out that we could live in Canada and have religious freedom. And this is what's happening today where we're starting to see the erosion of that freedom because these principles are no longer being honored. Not even with our churches. Because we don't understand. They're not being taught. They're not being preached. They're not, our children don't know about them. And, and if you'd ask uh, you know, a regular church member of any church in town, you'd ask them about this doctrine, they wouldn't have a clue what you're talking about. Yet that's what formed our whole religious freedom. <laughs> Yet they don't know. <laughs> you know. Wow. Something needs to change here. <laughs> we need to teach our people. We need to teach our kids the importance of having the freedom to choose, the liberty that we've been set free by Christ to choose in our conscience the God that we serve and to serve him in the way that God said we should serve him. And we can do that with a clear conscience no matter what the laws of the land are. So, individual soul liberty. What is liberty? In Acts 24, verse 23, this is what it says, and he commanded a centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty that he, should, that he should forbid none of his acquaintance to minister or come unto him. So there we see a very important definition of what liberty is. Liberty in this passage is saying that the centurion gave Paul the liberty that nobody that needed to come to him should be forbidden to come to him, and anybody that wanted to minister to him was not to be stopped in their ministering to this man. They should be allowed to be at liberty to do so. That, my friend, is a definition of liberty. <laughs> Amen? So we're living in a land of religious liberty. We're living in a land where we can freely preach the word of God, where we can freely go to people and give them the gospel. That's why I was against making a law to not for people not to go to doors about 
the doctrines they believed. Because it doesn't take long, and all of a sudden, everybody's locked out. <laughs> Amen? Liberty is the ability to choose one way or the other. When one's choices are taken away, there will be bondage. The scriptures are based upon choice. God gave Cain a choice to obey or disobey. It's amazing. You know, the first murder that is committed, and God knew it was going to happen, he comes to Cain, and he gives him a choice. Even though he knew his choice would lead to murder. Nowadays, we hear this thing that's going on where they're trying to develop laws that will catch you before you do it so you can be charged before you actually do the crime. (laughs) Amen? Now, I realize there's a part of that. You can see there's conspiracy and so forth, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about little pieces of evidence here and there and putting it together to force a scenario where they can shut you down. Take your doctrine. Take the things that you believe and, oh, you believe what the Bible says about this. That means you're a murderer. That means you're for this and you're for that. And you can just see it on the news today. That's what they're trying to make every good Christian Bible believer to seem like. The gospel of liberty. We already read Luke 4. The Bible says that Jesus came to preach the gospel to the poor. Set at liberty those that are bruised. The gospel liberates a sinner from the curse of the law. This is the liberation that we experience today. That uh, that death, and we talked about this on Sunday mornings, I don't want to beat this all over again. But the fact of the matter is, the reason why we have liberty or the importance of liberty is because the Lord set us free from the demands of that curse. That curse. That's where it all begins. And if the Lord set us at liberty, he says, I want you to maintain and continue in the liberty that I've bought for you on that cross of Calvary. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree. I understand there's such a thing today as capital punishment, and I do believe that that is proper in the right context, in the right justice system, where they judge someone that is taking people's lives and where his life ought to be taken. I believe that's scriptural. You go to, it's not even Mosaic law that goes back to Genesis chapter 9. After the flood, God says, this is how you're going to maintain order in this new land that you're going to be in, Noah. (laughs) Now, of course, we're not doing that anymore, and now look what's happening. There's this one, I was reading this one article on this one city in the States. It was a thriving city, became the murder capital of the United States. Today it's empty. Cursed because of the murder. Cursed because of the crime and wickedness of that area. You know, so I I definitely do believe that we have to maintain this punishment upon evildoers in our land. And I give a lot of respect to police officers and those that have to put their neck out there to protect our land and to protect the people, the law-abiding citizens. Amen. But we need to understand something that when Jesus died on that cross, he died so that you would never have to face death for your own moral deficiency. 
no matter how bad you think you are, as long as you're not going to hurt this country and, 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 and put your uh, evil on someone else, the Lord wants you to maintain and live in the liberty of not facing the curse of what you deserve for what you are. There's a reason there, there's murders out there. Because of the problems in the hearts of men. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 8.32, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? See, we've got to be careful, and I think that's what Romans chapter 2 and 3 are talking about in relation to the judgment that we can have on people. We, we somehow think that even though we've made, been set at liberty of the curse of the law, that other people ought to experience it other than us. And so we judge them with that standard. And the Lord says, don't become a judge of the law. Don't become a judge of the law. Folks, people, they need to be free. It's the only way they'll ever go forward. And I know that nobody's perfect. And I know that there's problems in people's lives and so forth. Unless, like I said, unless they're doing things that causes disruption and the lack of peace within our society and our communities, guess what? We ought to be careful of just throwing judgment on people wishing they were dead when we have been delivered and set at liberty from that death. He wants us to live in the liberty of life. That's his perfect desire for us. Amen? And we should want that for others as well. Now, I got a lot of scripture. I probably got about 15 verses here. I'm not going <laughs> to go in, and I'm going to move past some things here. The Bible says in Galatians 4.4, 4, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Howbeit then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them, which by nature are no gods. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Ye observe days and months and times and years. <laughs> Think about that, folks. Sometimes I'm concerned for the people of the church because there is a huge movement out there that is turning back to Mosaic law. Somehow thinking that following the Mosaic law is going to bring you some kind of a blessing, some kind of, a, a, you know, a, 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 a grace with God, whatever it is. And folks, it's just not true. Be careful when they tell you that, oh, if you eat this, that is sin. That's an attack on the word of God. The Bible tells us whatever you, you are free to eat whatever you want. The Lord set that free. He set that at liberty. And so if we're going to start taking those kind of things and turning them back into the cursed law. We're going to lose our liberty. And so the Lord warned us. He says, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? We know that the Judaizers went to the church at Galatia and though they accepted the gospel freely and they accepted the liberty with the gospel, it didn't take long and they began to give ear 
to these Judaizers saying, oh no, you have to be circumcised after the manner of Moses. Well, they say, well, Timothy was circumcised. <laughs> and you know what? That had nothing to do with have to. That had, had everything to do with what Paul said, I become all things to all men that I may reach the more. <laughs> Amen. And so that's the only reason he did not have to be circumcised. He did it so that it wouldn't be a hindrance to him to reach them with the gospel. That's what Timothy did. Amen. But to add that to your salvation, to add that to your gospel message, folks, that's wicked. And they set that straight in Acts chapter 15. They had a meeting about that and they said, you know, we we cannot require from the churches any part of that Mosaic law. But they gave them a letter of suggestions. They say, hey, keep yourself from blood. That means don't go around drinking the blood of people because the Bible says that the life of the flesh is in the blood. They also said, remember the poor, which even Jesus told us. Remember the poor. And so when people have problems and they can't eat and so forth, and even though they've blown all their inheritance, they don't have any money because of their own foolish decisions, you, because you have compassion on them, you feed the poor. Amen? That's a part of what we do, but that's not law. That's not bondage. So let's be careful. You know, you know sometimes I don't jump on every person in the church that comes in with some whack idea. I expect that God's people will understand <laughs> with the warnings I give them, with the, sometimes the meetings we have, that you'll begin to know that, hey, let's just be careful, but at the same time, let's try to reach this family. You know? Instead of throwing them out. My, my thing is this. You throw them out there. Now where would they go? How would their children ever hear? We're throwing them into a situation where all they'll ever hear is law-based doctrine. Let's keep the kids here. Maybe we've got to put up a little bit. But let's just be mature and understand the liberty that we have. So that when they talk to us, we know, let no man judge you. Say, sir, I'm just not going there because the Bible clearly tells me I'm set at liberty and I'm not going back to the dietary laws and I'm not going back to the Sabbaths and I'm not going to start keeping the Sabbath day holy and all those kind of things because those things are done. Amen? And we have to be verbal about that when we're approached. Don't just leave it up to the preacher. Don't make me the bad guy. Amen? You be the bad guy too. The gospel liberates every part of the man. The gospel sets our spirit at liberty. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. When Adam ate of that fruit of the garden, God said, if you eat of this, thou shalt surely die. Well, he ate of it. What happened? He didn't die as we think of death. He didn't fall over with a heart attack. (laughs) Well, that's only his physical. There's three parts to man. But I'll tell you something, immediately what took place, his spirit died to God. He no longer had a connection with the God that created him. And that's why he became fearful, because you become fearful when you're not connected to God. And he was afraid, and he hid in the bushes. So if you're battling fear in your life, you know the answer. The answer is get back to God. Start talking to God. Start reading the Bible. Start trusting what he says. That's the way to combat your fear. Because when you get close to the Lord, there is no fear. When when we are completely connected to the Lord, there is no fear in our lives. Perfect love casteth out all fear, the Bible says. Amen? Spiritually set at liberty. 
You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had all our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh. Yeah, you too. We were all there. We were all living according to the longings of our flesh. Not one of us, no matter how religious we thought we are, were doing anything worthwhile. We were all following the flesh. We were all following the course of the world that was set by the devil himself. Even if you had a a religion, you went to church, that religion was simply a part of the course. Wow. Think about it. You were a part of that course, even in your religion. The devil doesn't care about religion. He likes trapping people in religion. (laughs) He just doesn't like you following Christ. So it says, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, those two words. Boy, I tell you, if those two words wouldn't be there, where would we be left? Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. So because we're spiritually disconnected, now my flesh and my mind and everything has been corrupt and full of garbage. But then it says, but God, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, and I don't understand where that came from, as he looked down at us dirty, rotten sinners down here. I don't know how he could have had love for us. Uh, It must simply be just because he's a creator and he saw his creation and he, he created it with love and that love never ended even though we failed to obey what he said. But God, even when we are dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. Spiritual liberty, soul liberty. Romans 8.15, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. There's a spirit of bondage again to fear. But you've received the spirit of adoption. Folks, what do you have to be afraid of in this world? You are an adopted child of the king. You have the king of the world as your daddy. He is looking down on you and don't think for a second that the love he has for you has waned in any way whatsoever, even in all your foolish decisions and the stupid things you've done and allowed in your life. He looks down at you and says, you know what? I still have your back. You are my child. When it comes down to it, I will always be here. We've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we've received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. He's brought us so close spiritually that that he's like our daddy. He's like, we can just come up to him and and just kind of rest in his love of a father to us. And that's the God that holds the breath of every person that hates you. Amen? Amen. In 1 John 4, 17, Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment, he that feareth is not made perfect in love. 
So God wants us to have a perfect love towards him and ultimately a perfect love towards others. But if we're fearing, if we've got fear in our hearts, and, and I know what it's like to be fearful. I've had fear in my life. Fear of man. I have feared people. I have feared what they could do to me. I have feared what they could, how they could hurt my family. That's not what God wants. He doesn't want us to fear. You know, it's amazing how God brings you through things and allows you to go through some things just so you can work out these thoughts in your mind and heart. And so he gets you to face them. And I had to face it. The Lord knew that I couldn't go forward until I faced that fear. And I had to get past the fear of man. Amen. No preacher can do the will of God with the fear of man. None. We've got to get past it. And I'll tell you, it can be debilitating. It can be paralyzing. It's a powerful thing because the devil's behind it. He loves for you to fear. But all that fearing is telling you that you don't have love the way you ought to. You don't love God the way you should. So many people are fearful with everything in their life because they don't believe what God is to them. They don't believe what God can do for them. They don't believe the control that God has in his hand over your life. They don't believe that everything you've gone through is just something God can use to make you better and stronger and more powerful for him. There's nothing that man can do. There is no weapon that is formed against you that shall prosper, the Bible says. That means the idea of that weapon was to destroy you. And God says, I will not allow that weapon to destroy you. I will use that weapon that is used against you to become the will of God for you. So you become a greater man of God. And whatever they try to do with it, it will not prosper. Amen. That's powerful stuff. And, and most of our defeat in life is based upon the fact of what others do to us. A good example that my pastor gave one time was someone with a bow and arrow aiming at you. And you know something? It's not God's will for people to shoot arrows at you. But the moment they let that arrow go and that arrow's coming towards you and the moment it comes into your existence, that now has become the will of God for you. Even though it wasn't the will of God that people start shooting arrows. <laughs> that shows you that no matter what man can do, no matter how wicked they are, no matter what kind of imaginations or devices they can come up with against you, when it enters into your airspace, God says, now it becomes the will of God. And I'm in control of that. And I'm going to use it. That's where we go to all things work together for good, for benefit, to produce something good for people, for yourself. But we don't believe that today. We're walking around all bitter about all the things that have happened to us. And there are unfair things that have happened. And all of us could probably write a, at least a short book on it. Amen? But all I know is this. When that arrow came into my airspace, that was God's will for me. He says, you need this arrow. And I'm going to use this arrow to show you where you're weak. I'm going to show you where you need to be strengthened. Amen? Now, once you start getting some arrows in your life and you, you have the Lord teaching you these things, 
you begin to love him because you know that there's nothing that can take you down. The only thing that, that's going to take you down is your decisions, is what you do. Not what other people do, no matter what they try. Look at what they tried with the Apostle Paul over and over and over again. Look what they tried with people throughout the centuries, and yet God always trumped that particular thing that they were doing to these people. It doesn't matter. The devil tried to take out those, uh, in, those um, natives there in South America. He wanted them to die in their sin. A man by the name of Jim Elliott said, I don't want that to happen. So he got in his airplane with a couple of guys and young, young, zealous young men went down there and met them. I think it was uh, the first time they landed these natives were so scared or whatever, they, they, their instinct was just to protect themselves and they threw their spears and they killed all of these missionaries before they ever got to establish anything. They think, well, that the devil must have won. Well, then why is it that that village now has a missionary and these people were saved? The one that threw the spear that killed Jim Elliot is now a born-again believer. The devil did not win. <laughs> The weapon did not prosper. Now, it might take us to give our lives, but that's the will of God for you. Do you understand that? That may be what God wants for us. And in that decision not to fight back, not to take that one gun that they had with them on that plane and defend themselves when they could have pointed at that guy with the spear and shoot him dead and send him to hell, they said, we're not going to use the gun, boys, no matter what happens. So they went down there, and the spears were thus thrust through each one of them. Gun in the cab. It's not the way the world thinks. <laughs> but the devil didn't win. That, that, the gospel got in to that, into that village, and I believe it was his wife that lived within the village to get the gospel to those people. She went in on the heels of her husband's death. Powerful. Powerful stuff. Soul liberty. See, it's only when we understand that that we can go forward with liberty in our soul. You know, folks, I know that the times today are terrible. We don't even know how we're going to make it through this. Many of you, you're saying, I don't know, I'd like to buy a home, but now it seems like I can never buy a home. I don't know how we're going to pay the bills if this keeps going this way. Like, what's, what's going to take place? It doesn't seem like the, the wages are, are, are balancing with, with the inflation here. Something's got to crash. Now, you can fear that. You can freak out. You can make all kinds of bad decisions that take you away from God's plan for your life. Or you can just say, you know what? I'm an adopted child of the king. And my father owns a cattle on a thousand hills. If that becomes real, perfect love casteth out all fear. Amen? We don't need to fear anymore. And I know the tendency is there. I occasionally have to, you know, I get triggered every once in a while, and all of a sudden I feel that, that fear just kind of trying to rise up again, and I have to tell it, no, that's not happening. My God is in control. And the biggest part of that is you don't feel worthy for God to even care about you. But if he said, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you, folks, that's his promise. 
It doesn't matter how unworthy you feel about yourself, you know. He just looks at you as his child. He sees you in the righteousness of his son. Amen. That's true liberty. He set us at liberty. Delivered us from the fear of death. And of course, then there's physical liberty. We know that one day I'll be liberated from this knee of mine. Amen. Maybe by that time I'll, be, I'll learn to love it that much. I don't want to part with it. Lord, let me take it to heaven. <laughs> you know, He'll say no. <laughs> Only one person did that. That's Jesus. He said, Father, let me take it with. He's the only one that will take anything from down here up as a reminder to you what he's done. But you're set at liberty. Philippians 3.20, for our conversation is in heaven from whence we also look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able to even to subdue all things unto himself. Romans 8.21 Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. This liberty should not be sought for in this life because it's of little value. The liberty of the soul and the spirit is a liberty that Christians should seek for. But it's amazing, within a lot of these denominations and these churches today, they're teaching them to seek for the liberty of the physical. And the Lord says, don't worry about that. I got that all taken care of. What you need to focus on is the liberty of your spirit and your soul. Your soul is your focus. Amen. Well, we got people running around, spending money to get to the right crusade that maybe somebody could lay their hands on me and I could be set at liberty in my body. And I'm not saying that the Lord does not heal. He does. In James 5. And I, I suggest that. And I, I don't just suggest that so you can be healed. <laughs> I suggest that so you can know whether you're in the will of God or not. You understand that? You don't go and be anointed with oil so that God will heal you and then you'll be mad if he doesn't. You go to it to seek the will of God for your life. Maybe God wants me to be like the Apostle Paul with that thorn in my flesh. There's a principle there. He needs me to have this knee. He needs me to have this whatever. Whatever you're going through, maybe he needs you to have it. But you don't know that until you've gone to him and done what the Bible says to do. Because it may just be that you need to confess some things to him. Maybe that you need to acknowledge some sins in your life that you have not acknowledged. And, and he has put this on you to keep that before you. And many times he's healed the blind man. He says, go and sin no more. He came to him, heal me, Jesus. He says, don't sin again. Or a worse thing will come upon you. Not everyone was like that. Some of these, the Bible says, the, the one blind man in John chapter 9 was, this man was like this from his birth, that I may be glorified. Because they immediately asked the disciples, is this because of his sin or his parents' sin? <laughs> Jesus said, neither. It's from his birth that I may be glorified today before you, so that the people can see that I am the Messiah. This man from birth, to becoming a man, bore that infirmity so that Jesus could be glorified. <laughs> Amen.
That's important. So it's not that every time you're going to be anointed with oil, you're going to be healed. But what you will be is knowledgeable of the will of God for your life. And then you can go forward in peace, knowing that the Lord wants me to experience this, and there's a purpose for it, because my God is good. Amen? Many people are bitter because God won't do this for me. <laughs> Don't become bitter. See, all these things are set for us so we can have a, a, a life of soul liberty. So we can move on and, and grow in our personal lives and not have to wonder, is this the way it ought to be or not? <laughs> He's designed everything to set you free. Everything. Amen? And ultimately, there will be physical liberty. Uh, that's as far as we can go today. Let's bow our heads. I don't know what you can take out of this today, but perhaps just me mentioning the aspect of that soul, those soul issues, the fear, fear of man, fear of different things, maybe fear of something in the world, fear of your finances, fear of what's going to happen, fear of your body and your sicknesses, whatever it may be. And maybe you say, Lord, I've got to stop fearing on this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 127. Maybe you need to lay that fear at the Savior's feet tonight. Say, Lord, I'm tired of being afraid. I can't handle this. I want to have, I want to have liberty in my soul. And you know what? He's going to set you free. He's going to deliver you. Set at liberty those that are bruised. 